So welcome back to Demand Gen U. It almost feels a little like Inception here. We're going to do a podcast series within a podcast. So this is going to be a, a three-part mini-series on Demand, our big event from this past fall. So we'll talk through everything leading up to the event itself in this first episode. We'll cover everything that happened, the good and some of the bad, <laughs> the day of in another episode. And then we'll talk through everything that happened post episode and we'll give away a lot of our uh, cheat codes here so demand gen you is officially in session let's do it all right jason so let's start out with a question first what is a virtual event to you because i think people tend to mm. use virtual events and webinars as the same thing yeah um and honestly i don't I don't even know if I've attended, like if I attended an actual true virtual event before we had our own, which actually was maybe a benefit <laughs> to me, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, I just figured it was like, um, my expectations were sessions, of course, you know what I mean? And like, we got stages and things like that and people will go about, but I was thinking in my mind, like, oh, do we have several things going on at the same time, maybe? Or just like, you know, you'd go to a normal conference and you're going into tracks. In my mind, I was like, how do you manage all that? Um, what do you do for like in between to keep people engaged? So when I started thinking about a virtual event, it was really more about like, I don't even know what it is because I haven't attended one before. And so it, I had a lot of questions. Yeah, I was just like in my mind, I was like, I'm not sure what this would look like or what they are, but... Um, that sounds like we should do one. <laughs> so we did. That's hilarious. Yeah, I think for me, it's more around a two-way uh, like interaction and engagement. And there's something for the audience, too. Because in webinars, it's really just a 30, 45, 60-minute long pitch slap. And you're talking to people instead of with people. So that's the big thing for me. And I'm really tired of people using virtual events and webinars synonymously because I can't really remember the last good webinar that I've been to. Mine. One of mine. One <laughs> Trick of <yours>. question. Uh, <laughs> so I think, and it's funny, one of the points that Jason made, I think holds really true in this case and that I had never put on a virtual event either. So we'll talk through why I think that was an advantage for us in this case, because we couldn't use the, <clears throat> the mindset that I think you and I both hate, which is this is how it's always been done. Therefore, we should do it. So we'll give away a whole lot of this, but yeah. let's get into it first. Like, how did you and Gil start coming up with the idea for metadata doing a virtual event? Where did that come from? Yeah, so um, the first event we actually ever did was, I think it was like October of 2019, and it was a customer event. And I had just started like a month or a month and a half before. I was consulting, so I wasn't even really full-time, and we started to plan this event. Gil had already like identified the date and we're going to do it in person. Of course, this is before pandemic San Francisco. We had like 30 customers, I think at the time, maybe, um, maybe even less. Uh, and we put on a pretty decent, like first in-person event, you know, Kendria helped us. She's a Gil's admin. I think we had one, I can't remember. We had one other person helping with it that was here. And then it was me and, uh, and Gil, um, we had professional like videographer and photographer there. So we got some good content from it. Of course we didn't know how to use it, but, so that was like my, so my, my camp, my event experience is when I was at Tableau where we'd have 14,000 people show up live to Vegas. And then this tiny 30 person like 
customer event that we so had. Literally at both ends of the spectrum. Both ends of the spectrum. So, um, but you know, when we really started talking about it, it was actually Marcel. So Marcel Santilli is one of our advisors and really close to us, been with us for a long time. And he was doing an event at scale, his company scale, not at scale, but like at his company scale. And he was just like singing the praises. He came on, I don't know if it was like a cab meeting or something. And he was just like, oh man, this is, and I was having one-on-ones with, with him. And he's just like, whoa, I didn't even get how like critical this would be or how important this would be for our, you know, for demand, but also for the community that we're trying to build. He's like, it was wild, you know, and we were able to put on this great event, all these people, all these great speakers. And I was like, oh, and he had like three marketers, you know? So I was like, oh, and of course, when Gil hears that and Gil's like, yes, we're all in, you know what I mean? He's like, let's do this. And so that was really the impetus. That was like the first, like, oh, okay. And then I got myself into a little bit of trouble. So Gil comes to me and he says, Hey, Jason, let's do this. So let's do this event. And I, I was like, we can't do it. Like it's too much. It's too much. We're too busy trying to drive demand. I just told, I told him no. And I actually just found out pretty recently, like in the last couple of weeks that he did not like that at all. He was like, man, you had to recover from that. I was like, I didn't even know, but thank God. Uh, like what time frame, what time he, frame you know, was he talked us into it. This was, June, probably of last year, I'd say June, July, maybe of last year. Um, and so, uh, I don't remember, he had a conversation with me. He's like, just, just, just think about it. You know, I know you haven't done it before. And that was really where it was coming from for me. Cause I'd never done it before. So I was like, I didn't know what it what was, in, what would it, what would entail, you know, like putting this on again, I had this like 14,000 person in person event in my mind and like all the operations and like crap associated with that. I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be anything like that, but I didn't know what a virtual event was. Um, and so I just kind of flipped it a little bit. I was like, okay, let's, uh, we'll look into it, you know, and we'll kind of see. And then as I talked to Marcel more, and then we started talking about it, I just started getting more excited about it. And it was like, wow, well, maybe we can do this. And then we actually started to get, we got a little bit more resource at the time and we knew how much it would cost because Marcel had just did it. So we actually had it in our mind. We already kind of had it built out. We kind of had a business case, like here's how much it'll cost. This is kind of like, you know, what you can expect. Um, and yeah, we kind of, then we jumped in and we just basically, that became the next quarter's worth of work for us. So how did it come from, Hey, we should do an event to you getting in trouble to you saying, yes, we'll do the event and <laughs> turning that into a concept. Cause I want to talk about, you know, <laughs> anyone could do virtual events, but what were you thinking of, you know, the concept for the event? Yeah. I mean, I think I was thinking like, which is what we think about a lot with just a lot of the content we produce. What, what would I want to attend? And this is how we started talking about it. We were like, well, what's something that we would actually want to attend? You know, let's put that together because. Which is funny because you said you've kind of never ourselves. attended one not in hindsight, but keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What's one we would, I don't know. I guess it could be anything because I'm not sure. Never attended one. Um, and, you know, honestly, it was really you that. You took, you took it and then started to like break it down. And that's when I started to like see like, oh, maybe we can do this. You met with, I think the person at Gremlin, I won't tell the whole story, but like you started to pretty quickly like get a sense of like how we would do this. So how did that look from, what was your experience like? <laughs> uh, let's see, we'll talk through some emotions. Uh, I was nervous. <laughs> 
very nervous. I was excited. Uh, I was uh, borderline shitting my pants at some of the goals that were set, which we'll, we'll get here in a sec. But I think for me, it was rethinking, and, th- and this will come through hopefully by this entire episode after you listen to this. We wanted to rethink what would make us want to attend this event ourselves, and how do events normally get built out? So how do they normally get built out? You see the same mix of speakers, some big names. It's like a straight-up speaker circuit. You see most of them. It's almost like a Taco Bell menu. It's like the same ingredients just assembled in different ways. So if you were to look at all these different events that are out there, the faces generally look the same. And I think people tend to go to speakers first so they can get big names, then in return will hopefully drive registrations. So what we wanted to do was not do that. And what we started was we figured out what were the topics that we as B2B marketers were interested in just from a content perspective and started at the topics first. We went back and forth on the topics. And once we got like a really solid agenda of the different sessions that we were going to have, some being keynotes, some being um, how-to sessions, some being panels, then we figured out, okay, we've got a really solid agenda. Many of these topics we have not seen content before on. Now let's figure out the speakers. And I think that got us to think a little differently and match content to speakers instead of just saying, hey, do you want to speak at this event? You can present on whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of, well, and the reasons why do people go for big name speakers? Well, because they're going to ideally promote it for you and then their followers are going to come and register and it's going to boost your numbers. And why do people want to boost their numbers? Because they're using it as a, Demand tactic, basically. And I know we're going to probably talk about this a little bit, but, you know, so that's why we, again, we were trying to think about this differently. And that's why we started with those, those topics. And yeah, it was, and the, the topics were broad. It wasn't just like, this was a demand, like demand generation event. But, you know, our feeling is that as a demand gen professional, you have to know these other things. You have to know branding. You've got to know finance. You know what I mean? You've got to plan out your demand. You've got to be able to build those, like the financial models. And so we really took it from the whole set. You know what I mean? Like, what are all the things? PR, AI, you know what I mean? We were just really trying to touch on like internal stuff, you know, CEOs and relationships and sales and marketing relationships. And it was just like, yes, this is the stuff that people really need to understand. And almost like in a way where we touched the full set of disciplines, you know what I mean? Like across marketing instead of really just focusing on one, but then we would always look at it from like the demand gen practitioner's perspective and like what kind of info would they need from this topic and this topic. And so, um, yeah, I love that approach. And I think that's one of the reasons why it was so, it was such a well attended and engaged event. Um, now, and then, like you said, we added, then we started adding speakers. Yep. Now, before we jump into speakers real quick, let's talk about the intent first, because I think people will be surprised when they hear this around what our intent was and why it works so well, I think, because of that. Yeah, I mean, and if there's like one, if somebody asked me, like, what's the one thing that you think was really made this thing as successful as it was, and it would be this, it was our intent going into it. Our intent going into it was never about leads we could follow up with to sell them metadata. It was 
and believe it or not, it wasn't, you know, um, it was always about how do we help the community of B2B marketers? Because that's our strategy, helping B2B marketers get better at their job, regardless if they use our platform and doing that to build trust relationships with demand gen marketers. And then at some point, they will self-educate on our platform. They will figure out if it's right for them. We don't have to hit, we don't have to hit them over the head. We don't have to hard sell them and pitch slap them if we do our job right. And so that was our same intent with the event as we do with our advertising and our content. It's like, let's do this for the community. Let's try and build a community because we actually want to be able to actually engage in a community of demand gen professionals and also have that give us feedback too on what we're doing and what we can do better. Um, and so, yeah, it's that intent of us going in. That's why you didn't see us have a bunch of sponsors. We didn't have spon We had LinkedIn as a title sponsor because we really, but just one. Did they get any of the leads? No, no. You know, they didn't ask. They didn't. You know, they don't want the leads either. Um, and so, they see the benefit of doing a, a, an event like this, putting their name behind it, and like just letting the audience experience it. And then, what are they going to do next? Will they come to your website? Check you out? Maybe they'll ask for a demo, maybe they'll engage and ask questions. And so that was really it. it was the intent was like, and we even told the sales reps, you don't get to follow up with these people afterwards. Yeah, we got all these thousands of people coming in, net new people. Sorry, these are not leads. A lead is when they actually ask for a demo. We did give them permission to communicate with them, but it was more like following up and, you know, oh, hey, did you see this content, that kind of thing. But so yeah, it was really the intent. So one thing I want to add on the intent is this. We were very clear that this was not a metadata conference. Yes, metadata yeah. hosted it, but we were not trying to talk about metadata and pitch slap people about metadata and disguise this as a big sales pitch. If you were to go back and listen to all of these different sessions, yes, some of the speakers that we had are customers and they may have mentioned metadata, but I was very clear leading up to it when we recorded some of these sessions and and did calls beforehand you are not trying to sell people on metadata because that is not the focus of the event and i think that is something that we will keep doing year over year when we have to do this bigger and better this year and beyond but i think that's a huge differentiator if you're going to put on an event like this yeah yeah and the the speakers everybody can feel it that's the thing because for example, a lot of us get invited to speak at events and then like the second or third page of the prospectus is lead sharing. Oh God. And it's just like second or third page in, you're already, they're already trying to pitch you on how many leads you're going to get. And, oh, if you deliver a hundred leads, you get the full list. Like, no, no, that is not the right intent. And so like, if that's why you're doing an event, please just don't do it. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be attracted to it and then be let down. So just don't, just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to goals because I think this is going to be a funny topic uh, for a couple different reasons. So, how did we go about goal setting? How did you go about goal setting? I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm trying to actually remember how we set the goals. So, the first thing was getting justification, right? So, like, I had to get justification for the spend. We we assumed so the budget was fifty thousand dollars. We spent one hundred and seven, but we made that conscious decision and LinkedIn, you know, we got a lot of funds from LinkedIn that we weren't expecting. And so that was why we were able to spend more. 
But I think what I, I think what I did is early on, I think I took Marcel's breakdown of how he spent his money. And I think I did like back of the envelope math on, well, okay, if we spend $30,000 on promotion and we get a cost per lead of this, then we should be able to get this many registrations. And I, I'm pretty sure that's how I started it. And then I just came up with a number. I was like, 4,000 seems about right. Um, for our very first virtual event that we've never done before. Now that is 4,000. trying to do on a shoestring. 4,000 attendees. And then there was a second goal as well. Registration. Or sorry, re registrations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, thank you. It was 4,000 registrations yep. and or 2,000 attendees because I was like, live attendees. Because I was partly thinking like, man, I want to break free from this like damn 33% attendance rate that like for some reason just holds. Like the math just seems to hold like for every event we do. Like this 33% like live attendance rate. I wanted to break free of that. And then what happened, Mark? Well, <laughs> let's uh, story within a story for a sec. So we did get some help uh, for demand. Uh, Carly Williamson, she's over at Gregory Events. She's amazing. I love giving her a shout out because she's really good at what she does. Uh, she was helping us with this. Now, Jason, I don't know if I ever shared this with you. She was kind of laughing and felt bad for me at some of the initial goals that you set because she was thinking, <laughs> you know, hey, I have a lot of experience here and this is what you're setting goals in year one. Like, good luck. So I was like, oh, thanks, Carly. Like, this makes me feel awesome. So <laughs> what happened was, and we'll get into this here in a sec, uh, the goals uh, changed uh, probably midway through the, <laughs> the pre-promotion of this. And they suddenly went from 4,000 registrations to 5,000 registrations. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to call my boss out for it, but he kind of just <laughs> spoke it into an existence. And then I decided one day to go back in my emails and see, you know, hey, I'm, I'm like 99% sure that it was 4,000. Sure enough, it was 4,000, and Jason just spoke it into an existence. Yep. Yep. And I, and I thought it was hilarious. Cause I was like, Mark brought it to me and I was like, there's no way I did that. I don't just arbitrarily change. I've, goals. I've like, never you know, once I'm, done I'm, that to you either. Like question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm decent with math, you know? So I'm like, how did that happen? And I went, looked at, I, I, you know, he sent me the email thread and sure enough, like literally just in between two messages, it was like one was 4,000 and there was like some chatter, but nothing about changing the goal. And then another one was like, it was 5,000 and there's no trail of like, well, why did you, why did you change it? And I tried to go back and remember like, how did that happen in my mind too? And then I think it was, I was trying to make the math work to the live attendees. So then I went back and I was like, well, to get 2000 live attendees, we're going to need 5,000. So I think I just somehow I mixed it up in my head and just, so I had to come back to Mark and say, okay, you're right. I did that. I promise though, I will never do this on something we're actually bonused on. <laughs> so that was my commitment to Mark. I was like, I'll never make it. I'll never make a mistake on the goal or just arbitrarily change it if we're actually getting bonused on it. And so luckily that wasn't part of our bonus. No, so. and I'd say the, the beauty of all of it is we actually came much closer to hitting both of those numbers than I thought, uh, which is awesome yeah. and bad at the same time. I say bad because we really set the bar way too high in year one. So we'll see what year two looks yeah. like. Yeah. But I'll learn someday. Yeah. Now that we talked on goals, I think what I want to talk through is um, more the speaker angle of this. So getting speakers for an event like this is hard, especially because I think when we were starting to really focus on this, people kind of knew who metadata was. I think we were starting to get more awareness in the market, but 
we're still nowhere near the size at that time, and, and really now, as some of our direct competitors. What we did was, and this is really the cheat code to all of it, it's playing the long game with, I would say, not just influencers, because I just I hate that term. I think of the yeah. corny Instagram influencers. <laughs> but like really big names, either established names or up-and-coming names in your industry, and featuring them in your content. So two ways that we did this. First way, our CEO, Gil's podcast, B2B category creators. We had yep. uh, Manny Medina, we had David Cancel, we had Dick Gerhardt, we had um, G, we had others, and like we had already kind of warmed them up a little bit. So it was an easier ask yep. once we said, hey, you know, we'd love for you to, to speak at uh, demand on this panel. And then the other way that we did this was through the No Fluffs Given content series uh, that we had put on last year. So that content series, and we'll probably do an episode on this, was really a it's like a guest writing series where we were featuring other people, uh, again, covering different aspects of B2B marketing uh, to build that relationship with them. So those seeds were planted, you know, at minimum six to 12 months in advance. And it becomes a much easier yep. ask when you already have that relationship. So everyone that I asked said yes, which was awesome. And then I think the few that we didn't have relationships with, and here's another cheat code, once you have all of those speakers who've already said, yes, I want to speak on this particular topic, then you can use that in your social proof so that when you're reaching out to people who you have no relationships with, it's like, whoa, Dave Gerhardt's going to be here. Whoa, uh, Manny Medina's going to be here. Whoa, Aaron Balsa's going to be here. Devin Reed, of course I want to be in that same company. So using social proof and building relationships well ahead of your event, I would say that the two biggest cheat codes that we had to get an all-star lineup. The lineup was literally insane. And everyone said that. Yeah. And we, there's some cleverness that we did too. So like April Dunford, for example, none of us had relationships with her. We were like, we want her on. So Mark, you actually, you looked, you were, you were like digging. You found out, oh, she's connected with Mark Organ. Oh, wait, Mark Organ even wrote, or like there's some like exchange of writing or forward for somebody's book or something. And you surfaced that to me. Yep. I have a relationship with Mark Organ. I went to Mark Organ. Hey, this is what we're doing. Can you make the intro with, would you be willing to make the intro to April? He did. Then the social proof came in with April after that. Oh, look who we have. DG, David Cancel, blah, blah, blah. And that's how we got April Dunford. None of us knew her. Not one of us, uh, Olivier, Gill, none of us knew her. And we were able to get her and she was like one of our headlining speakers. And so leveraging the relationships, that's again, like you put real time and effort into these relationships in business. You know what I mean? Because they do pay off. Like Mark Organ, um, I've met with him a lot. You know, he's one of our investors. He's Gil's, one of Gil's advisors. Um, and he just loves, he loves what we're doing. He loves staying connected because he's an investor. So he likes to know what's going on. And then he's willing to do stuff like that, you know, because he, he likes us, he likes working with us. And, and then we also promised everybody that like, hey, we don't half-ass things. So like, this is going to be a good event. You will be, we literally told people, you will be happy that your name was associated with this because that's how strongly we felt like, hey, we're gonna do this well. Um, and thank God we did. <laughs> so I wanna talk about some of the, let's talk through the launch really and the promotion. And we'll talk through the launch first and the promotion we can cover, yeah. how we promoted it, how we 
used some of the speakers to promote it and then some of the creative ways uh, that we promoted it using different like paid tactics and B2C tactics. So there's a lot there first. So the launch. I think the yeah. big thing yeah. for the yeah. launch uh, was two things. One, we had to launch it, which gave me so much anxiety without having all of the details finalized. And that's a very stressful you know, spot to be in. But two, we were incredibly transparent about the fact that, hey, we do not have all of these details finalized yet, but know that we wouldn't do this unless we were going to whole asset and put on an event that we ourselves would want to attend. And we were overly transparent about that in the follow-up email that came from me. Like people were screenshotting it and putting it uh, <laughs> on LinkedIn. People were responding to it. It almost made people want to attend the event even more because of how transparent like we were in all of our communications. Like, hey, it's not final yet, but trust us. Like, we're going to put on something that you want to be there for. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, and if you remember, you know, when we did that first, we wanted to have a, like a center of mass, you know what I mean? Defined that we could launch with that would give us a big splash. And so we did focus on, uh, we didn't focus on the speakers first, but we focused on the big name speakers. Once we figured out the topics, okay, who are the big names that we can like really put up there? And we wanted, you know, three or four of those kind of like headliners basically. Um, and when we first went out, we also asked these big names, please help us promote it as well. You know what I mean? You're going to be part of this. So please help us promote. And I think in that, didn't in that first day, didn't we get like a thousand registrants in the very, like at the launch? Wasn't it right around a thousand? Yeah. And it was in the middle of our second half company kickoff and <laughs> we launched it. Yep. And within 24 hours, we had close to a thousand. I know that we had a thousand yeah. within a, a few days, but I think at that point it was a holy shit moment that, whoa, there's, I hate to say demand for demand, but there's a real interest <laughs> yep. in this type of event. Yep. And that's when I... It was after that first day that I was like, oh, this is going to be a success. I actually kind of, once it, once we rolled that out that first day and I saw those numbers, I was like, oh, this is going to be, this is great. And then little did I find out later on, and Gil, of course, doesn't tell you these things sometimes in the moment. His expectation was 500. <laughs> so when we set the goals, and usually when you're talking with Gil, your numbers are usually not lower, or sorry, not higher than his. You know what I mean? Like he's usually coming out with things where you're Never. like, wait. Yeah, well, how the hell am I ever going to do that? And then you find out how to do it. But very, very rarely, never do you actually you do you usually come up with something higher than what he does. And kudos to him for not telling me that until later on. But um, and honestly, like what Mark said earlier, the fact that we didn't have experience doing this before is honestly part of what got us to delivering those stellar results. Really, because um, I didn't we didn't have like past experience of like, oh man, I was only able to get 500 or a thousand at this last place. We didn't have that as a blocker in our minds. And so like, we were able to really think about it agnostic, like with no experience behind us, but you know, Mark and I are smart people. We kind of, we can get things done. Um, and we also have principles about how we want to do things. And that's, we held to those and. All right. So are. let's talk about promotion then. I think the, the first real push that we did was through our own employees on LinkedIn. So we, and I'm sure we'll do another episode on this, we've got, I think it's the first company that I've ever worked at where all the employees are chomping at the bit to help market metadata. So 
thank you everyone at yep. metadata because it's it makes nice. our jobs <laughs> easier and it helps amplify what we're trying to push out there. But for the first few days that followed, like we really had our employees posting about this on LinkedIn. So we had that coupled with the, you know, the four or five big names that we had secured and then some of the, the up and coming names that we had uh, all did a big push in that first week. So that was huge for us. Now, again, I did not want to keep going back to each of the speakers and really annoy them or kind of spam them with, hey, we need you to promote this event every single week. So we were very careful around when we asked them to promote it. There was that first big push, and then there was a second push whenever we announced their individual panels, because I think the one thing that we didn't really talk about here was we had announced the speakers, and we had released the some of the topics that we were going to be covering, right. but right. we didn't actually release the agenda. So there was right. another point where we released the agenda. We did a big push there because that was the first time that people could actually see which speakers were going to be talking about which particular topic and what time. And then after that, leading up to it, we tried to have one announcement per week where we were really taking over LinkedIn and announcing a particular session. So that worked really well. And I think for us and really me personally and a lot of the relationships that I had, I felt better because I was not saying, hey, can you just promote the hell out of this every single you know, week? Uh, because I wouldn't want to do that you know, if I were in that position either. And I think that went a long way too. Yeah. 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 And, um, and then, of course, we used our own platform too to promote it so from a paid ads perspective. Let's talk about that because I think there were some interesting findings too uh, around using paid for an event like this. So you were closest to that. Yeah, I mean, you know, we just did our kind of traditional metadata thing, you know, tried a lot of channels, messaging, audiences, types, et cetera, um, and even conversation ads. You know what I mean? We were using conversation ads to try and get people to register. We were using just straight up feed ads, email. Um, but yeah, I mean, we tried, we'd used video, you know, so we tried a lot of different formats and kept a pretty broad audience, you know, because it's a pretty broad audience that should be attending, you know, like people in demand gen. Um, and yeah, and we, we really just, Silvio ran it for us. Um, and he just basically, his, his goal was just keep chopping down that CPL, you know, as much as we could. And that's where we started to see like, oh, you know, maybe we can actually have a dent in registrations with paid. That said though, I don't know the actual number, but probably only, here's the math guy. Yeah, <laughs> 10 to 15% maybe of our registrants came from paid tactics. I, I want to say not many, much, not much more than that. It was 4,400. And I think we had like three or 400 that we brought in through paid, you know, and we spent quite a bit of money. So like in my mind, we didn't have to do it. We didn't have to do paid and we might not next time. Well, we will, but we'll find out better ways to do it. We'll get the learnings from this year and we'll like basically capitalize on those and keep optimizing. But interestingly, like a vast majority were social. And then I think a lot of what you were doing to get people to share it, which you should talk about. <laughs> so I want to talk through, this will be a good example. I want to talk through the little contest that we ran leading up to it. So I had, I'd been watching the registration count like a hawk, uh, even more so when it was bumped up to 5,000. And we were getting closer and closer to the event. And I was just thinking to myself, like, how are we going to do this? I 
am very goal oriented. So even though Jason had bumped the goals up, I was still trying to hit that number and wanted to do everything I could to hit it. But when the gap was, you know, 1,500, 2,000 plus, because there was a big lull after that first week, like it was gradually increasing, but we didn't have that like steady march to 5,000 registrants. So thankfully, Carly was able to ease some of my concerns when she let me know that, hey, you'll be surprised how many people register the week of and really the day of. And there was a huge influx of people that, that got us to, I think it was 4495, um, yeah. not that I ever forget uh, <laughs> the exact count. But as we were getting closer to like, I'd say 3,500-ish, you had the idea of, hey, we should just run a contest. And we should try to figure out how do we run a contest to drive registrations. So I was thinking of what are the things that, you know, I see on Instagram with some of these, you know, B2C brands and uh, what are they doing to get people to promote, you know, whatever the offer or contest is. And where we netted out was we stole something that anyone can really steal and a lot of B2C brands do is you had to follow metadata on LinkedIn uh, you had to register for the event and you had to post on LinkedIn just about why you were excited for the event itself or a specific session that you were most excited to attend. And if you did all of those things, and again, we did this manually, like the tracking of it, so we didn't have it all figured out. You then had a chance to win, I think it was one of three $500 Airbnb gift cards. So again, yep. not very much effort required to get a pretty sizable gift. Now, we had no idea if it was going to work, and we tried it, and I'll speak for myself. I was kind of blown away at, at not just the fact that I, I think it did work at the end of the day, but how many people did yeah. it, and I posted yeah. about it on LinkedIn. We had, I think it was like 98 or 99 people who you know, actually oh, wow. participated in this, which in the grand scheme of things may not seem like a lot of people, but know that we were marketing to marketers and many of their networks are the, our exact audience that we were trying to get in front of. So that's yep. 99 more people at a cost of $1,500 total to us to then advertise demand for their networks. We were blown away at how well that extended the reach for this. And I think we'll continue to do stuff like that. You know, we're not going to do the same exact thing next year, but we were told by many of the attendees, like we were pretty much owning LinkedIn in the B2B marketing world in the weeks leading up to it and definitely that week and day of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, heavy, heavy organic promotion, you know, and then getting people engaged before the event to actually, you know, share some of that stuff. And yeah, it just amplifies it more than we ever could on our own uh, or even with paid, you know. Um, and so, yeah, because people are, again, more likely to follow through something that from somebody they know, right? Oh, I know this person because I'm connected with them on LinkedIn. Oh, they're promoting this thing versus seeing an ad in their feed. And so, um, yeah, I was really, really excited about that. And um, I didn't know how it was going to work either. I was like, oh, will people really do this? I had no idea. Sure enough. Absolutely. <laughs> they did. Yep. And they enjoyed it, you know, and I think that's, um, they had fun with it. So yep. that was good. Now, what I'm also pumped to see is for the three gift cards that we gave out, I made sure that they know whenever they take their vacation uh, on metadata that they've got to post a picture of wherever they're at and tag us. Oh, so, nice. uh, oh yeah, that'd be great. We're in the yep. dead of winter here, so <laughs> I know that some of those trips are coming up, but we'll see that soon. So, <laughs> I want to stop here just because I think that led up to a really solid pre-demand uh, episode. We'll get to the the day of and the the post-demand episodes in time, rather than do some of the audience questions. 
I think we'll do two questions here, and we'll answer both ourselves. So, Jason, what would you have done differently leading up to demand itself in hindsight? Maybe focusing less on the paid part of it. You know, I think I went in thinking that that was how we would get most of our registrations, and it just wasn't by far. And so I think, and because I thought that, putting a lot of time and effort into that piece instead of just kind of like, oh, yeah, let's just use it as like a, a uh, you know, just like a side thing going on to try and get the people that we can't get to through social. I didn't think our social network was honestly that strong um, to get that many registrations. So probably just focus on paid a little bit less probably. I think for me, I'll give you a funny answer before uh, my actual answer. I would have started all of this sooner. I think we're going to start <laughs> demand 2022 yep. in like March timeframe, not June, July. Uh, but the actual answer that I'll give is I was hesitant at first to do recorded sessions because mm. I thought that, yeah. oh, it's recorded. It's going to be lame, but it made it easier for a couple different reasons. One, the day of, like, it's a whole different beast to do everything live, um, especially with schedules too. But I would actually have done more recorded sessions, and we'll probably do that in Demand 2022. And I tell you that because the recorded sessions were actually some of my favorite sessions, and I think we got that feedback too from the attendees, because almost all of the speakers from those recorded sessions were in the chat itself. So you then had the ability to ask your questions, get answers in real time from some of those speakers. And, you know, we'll talk through more of that on the day of, but I think I would probably have done more recorded sessions because I thought that led Mm. to such a good day of experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, we'll do one last easy question. So, uh, (laughs) five, 10 years from now, when somebody asks you like, Whoa, like you put on (laughs) demand 2021, hopefully they're saying that. Uh, what's the thing that you'll laugh about most leading up to the event? Um, I mean, honestly, probably just how little we actually knew, you know what I mean? Um, that of what we were doing, but yeah, I mean, because that setting the goals, you know what I mean? Super high, um, yeah, all those things I would look back on, just like, oh man, yeah, um, we really didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we Carly helped us a lot, I would say, because she'd seen a lot of these, right? So she had seen them, she has experience, and she's a calming kind of like, you know what I mean? She's not like a hair on fire. We we things are going. We nuts. were flying blind, but we were not yeah. as a team flying blind because of Carly. True. Yes, I just want to yes, make that note. Ex- absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So I'll probably look back and just laugh at just like, wow, we really. We really took on something big and not really knowing what we were doing. <laughs> so for me, I will always think of where we were when we launched it. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember where exactly yep. we were? Like, oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We were sitting around a table in an Airbnb at uh, in Denver or Denver area for our second half offsite. And to launch this thing with a click of a button in a basement and start to see really the drift bot because we were using drift to (laughs) collect registrations, um, blow up and annoy our, uh, SDR so much (laughs) that they were like, Oh my God, it's, it won't stop beeping. That was a really funny startup moment for me. Yep. Nice. 
Cool. Sweet. Well, this was a good one. This is the first part of a three-part mini-series on demand. So hopefully you took something, uh, I'd say, at least <laughs> funny uh, from this because there were quite a few funny parts. But I think we gave away a lot of what worked for us. So make sure to uh, subscribe and you know where to find us on LinkedIn. Keep sending questions over, and we'll see you at the next session of Demand Gen U. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.